Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Welcome to On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. I'm your host, Colin Ellis, and today we're going to do something a little different. It's Oscar season, so we're going to talk about the five nominees for Best Documentary Feature. Free Solo, RBG, Mining the Gap, A Fathers and Sons, and Hale County This Morning, This Evening. And joining me to do that are producers Chantel Berganza and Matthew Amer. Hey, guys. Hey. Hi. How's it going? Good. I'm sick. So am I. I'm getting sick. Getting sick. Everyone's sick. Oh, dear God. Okay. <laughs> so, Colin, are you entering this year's Oscar pool? Uh, I'm totally entering this year's Oscar pool. Uh, I won last year's Oscar pool. How'd you win, though? How did I win? Because I... Well, here's here's the secret. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give away my, my trade secret here. I look at all the uh, guild winners. Okay. So, basically, every uh, category has, like, a guild. So, best sound and whatever the wins those guild prizes typically wins the Oscar. So, that was sort of how I was able to determine who would win in each category. It's a little like card counting. Isn't it? I mean, it's like cheating. Che- cheating a little bit. <laughs> cheating. Sounds Strat- like cheating. Strategy. No, it's strategy. I strategy. have my. I think my downfall is that I always vote for. I always put the boxes off for who I think should be winning, and that's never oh. a good way to do this. So mm. I, I did really poorly last year. I don't think I've ever won the Oscar poll in our office. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about the five nominees for Oscar this year, and uh, we all saw them, or I saw them all. I've seen them all except for Hill County, which I am really looking forward to seeing. I didn't see RBG or Hale County, but I saw the rest. Uh, we all saw Free Solo together. We did go to, we went on a field trip. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just to set up Free Solo a little bit for people who haven't seen it yet, it's a portrait of a free soloist climber named Alex Honnold uh, as he prepares to com- climb the face of the world's most famous rock, the 3,000 foot El Capitan in Yosemite National Park without a rope. Does it feel different to be up there without a rope? It's obviously like much higher consequence. People who know a little bit about climbing, they're like, oh, he's totally safe. And then people who really know exactly what he's doing are freaked out. I've thought about El Cap like for years and every year I'm like, that's really scary. I'll never be content unless I at least put in the effort. El Cap is the most impressive wall on Earth. It's 3,200 feet of sheer granite. It's the center of the rock climbing universe. Obviously, I get interview questions about it all the time. Oh, would you like to do that? You're like, yes, for sure. This was possibly the most stressful, like (laughs) one of the most stressful movies Mm -hmm. I've ever watched. I I actually, I'd never heard of free soloing. I thought that was, my only knowledge of free soloing was from Mission Impossible 2. (laughs) <laughs> like that was there's a scene in the opening of Mission Impossible 2 where, Mount, where Tom Cruise is climbing a mount without a rope and I thought that was literally just for that movie doesn't okay. he do all of his own stunts like do you think he actually free soloed I, I doubt know. it he's, that... he's probably got such a crazy insurance policy that he had to have some kind of he, tether or yeah. something he, I don't know he does go like over the top with his like with some of the stunts in his like in these Mission Impossible movies he's gonna get killed in one of them eventually I've always wanted to climb so this gives me a good excuse so yeah, it's basically a look at uh, Alex's uh, preparation for this climb, and um, he's an interesting guy. Chantal, what would you think of Alex when 
when you were watching the film? Um, you know, I, one of the things that I really liked about this documentary, aside from it being very beautifully shot and shot in a way that made you feel like any at any moment someone was going to fall off of a mountain and die, um, it really got into the psychology about what draws people to do something like this when it's possible to climb mountains with ropes and stay relatively safe. Um, it was almost as if they were using, you know, his love of climbing mountains without ropes as a way of talking about his relationships to people. Like it was very much also a documentary about uh, how he learns to be tethered to other people. Tethered's an interesting choice of word, considering he doesn't use any ropes. Yeah, well, he doesn't like ropes, right? <laughs> and then he's like, "Oh, I'm in a relationship. Like I'm tethered to somebody. How do I? How do I uh, navigate that?" Is a very patient girlfriend. I admired her um, willingness to basically put up with all this because, and I often I kind of wondered about her too. Like, what is, like, what's in this for her? You know, I mean, I know she loves the guy, but also like. I don't know, like, <laughs> like it can't feel great to like feel like you're being blamed for someone. That's the thing. All of a sudden, yeah. starting to like fall and and mess up during the practice runs, like that cannot be a good feeling. Just uh, the stress of like, of yeah, your boyfriend is doing this for a living. Like, I mean, and I, I wasn't clear on whether or not this is it for him. You know, like, is this going to be? He's the last, totally going to find another mountain probably to climb. Find some other like, yeah, and then like, like you know, is he just going to keep doing this until? He dies. I don't know. It's a. Uh, so you it, think it's a front runner? I think it is. Well, I mean, okay, it's it's fifteen million at the box office, which is huge. Um, we'll probably get into this later, but you know, I mean, the the when it comes to documentary features, uh, it's it's not exactly an easy category to predict what will win. But I think this is definitely the uh, one of the. Uh, I guess I guess this would be my pick uh, for winning. But let's actually let's go to the next one because I think this also has a pretty good shot, which is RBG which is the uh, documentary about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. We welcome today Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's become such an icon. Do you mind signing this copy? I am 84 years old, and everyone wants to take a picture with me. <laughs> Notorious RBG. Yeah, yeah. When you come right down to it, the closest thing to a superhero I know. Ruth Bader Ginsburg changed the way the world is for American women. Basically, it's a look at her legacy, uh, her life uh, starting as a lawyer, uh, and then uh, when she was appointed to the uh, Supreme Court by uh, Bill Clinton in the 90s, and uh, just her um, uh, her battle for women's rights uh, in the U.S. And um, I I liked it. I mean, it's interesting because she's she's become this pop culture figure, right? Like she's notorious RBG. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a fiction movie, or not a fiction, but like a biopic. There's, there's a biopic with Felicity Jones. With Felicity Jones, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, but like when you see her personality in the film, um, you know, she's very like shy. Um, in in the courtroom, she's a different, it's a different story. She's a little oh, more yes. assertive and everything. But in private, she's, she can be kind of shy. And I just was trying to figure out like, like what's the, what is it exactly that makes her like so, like, like a, such a, 
pop culture icon. I, I, was, I wasn't sure the film really explained that to me. I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, well, I mean, as far as documentaries go, yeah, it's a very straightforward biography or biographical documentary. Um, she's definitely having a moment in pop culture. Um, I wonder if maybe part of that comes from this generational understanding that we might have slept on her a little bit mm. um, or on like the the impact that she's had on the lives of uh, the life for American women and you know how that trickles out to more global how that trickles out more globally do you think that it here's my other thing like I feel like this definitely preaches to the choir I mean there are people who don't like Ruth Bader Ginsburg obviously who are I guess more on the right of the spectrum although she does have I think there's a Orrin Hatch is in the film and he's a Republican um, so she does have, I guess, conservative friends. But I, be, I believe this movie's coming out at a very, um, obviously, interesting time in the United States. And uh, an interesting time for the Supreme Court. And yes, especially with the Supreme Court uh, post-Kavanaugh hearings and what have you. Um, I don't feel like it's likely to convert anyone who isn't already a fan of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I wonder if that's a documentary's job. I don't know. I just, I thought, I thought, I just, I wasn't sure, like, who this film was really for. I think maybe one of the biggest things that I not only just got from it, but that it just like helped remind me to do is just having this uh, sense of scale about where women have come um, and how far, how much, what t- time's relationship to progress. I mean, when they were talking about her being in law school, uh, RBG being in law school in the 50s, at that point in time, in relationship to American history, women had had the vote for how long at that point? Like, yeah, not that long. 40 years? 50, <laughs> and 45 she was, years? I think, one of five women in like a class of like 500 guys or something like that. Right. Yeah. And then there's a scene maybe halfway through where she's with her granddaughter, mm-hmm. um, who is a Harvard Law student. And it's up until that point, 2017, where they finally get gender parity with students in the class. Right. of Harvard Law School. So, you know, 200 years of American history. How many years have women had the vote? How many years, you know, have women been allowed to study law right. um, in these law schools? And we've only just hit parity at this point. So, mm-hmm. you know, just like, yeah, progress's relationship to time, I guess, was like a big takeaway for, for me. Um, and that can be applied to so many other things when it comes to uh, women's rights. So those are RBG and Free Soul. I think in... in- Probably those two are, are, are like, I would say, the front runners. They both did really well at the box office. Um, but we'll see. It's, anything can go with the Academy Awards, guys. Next one is Mining the Gap, and I think we all really like this film. Yeah. I loved this documentary. I like there's the front runners, but then there's the one like in your heart you want to win, and uh, this is absolutely the one for me. I'm making this film because I saw myself in your story. I always felt like I didn't fit in with my family. My parents ran this very controlling house. I ran away a lot. Skateboarding is more of a family than my family. How did you get disciplined? I mean, well, they call it child abuse now, but... Life might be moving too fast. We have to fully grow up and it's gonna suck. When you're a kid, you just do, you just act. And then somewhere along the line, everyone loses that. I knew you had some huge weight on you. Skateboarding meant more to you. It was kind of a life or death thing. I remember hearing screaming coming from your room, and it was like really, really unnerving. 
Just uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, it basically chronicles the lives of three uh, friends, three young men who grew up in Rockford, Illinois, uh, and they are all skateboarders. Um, but as we learn through the course of the film, uh, they've all uh, been the recipients of domestic abuse. Uh, the director is Bing Liu, and uh, as you learn in the course of the film, he was abused by his stepdad. And um, he actually uh, confronts his mother about it. Uh, and it's 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 incredibly powerful film to watch. But, I mean, watching those scenes of him talking to his mom and asking her questions about why she was with this man... Uh, for so long and how she could put up with that. I mean, it's 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 pretty harrowing. Did I ever be skateboard? No, kids? I never skateboard. I tried to. Uh, I had a really like crappy skateboard and tried my hardest to learn, and then I ended up just playing a lot of like Tony Hawk Pro Skater too. So that's that's <laughs> how I filled in that uh, sort of gap in skateboarding. But uh, um, one thing that was interesting is that um, for a lot of people, uh, their first experiences with a camcorder like the Canon GL2, which was a, a, a camera that was actually shown in the film, that was taking skate videos. And that was one of the first camcorders that really, you know, got people into doing, you know, street video work. Um, it was like a very rugged camera. People would go out, shoot these skate videos, and then put them together on like, I don't know, probably like a DVD at that point, but eventually put them onto YouTube. And for Bing, that was his first real introduction to uh, filming something. And really, like, serve as like his inspiration for getting into this kind of documentary filmmaking. I guess we should say the opening shots of the film are really incredible because he's basically showing uh, three guys on their skateboards as they like skate through like a parking lot and then onto the street. I don't know how he caught all that. Like, I'm not a technical as you per, as, a, as as you know, I'm not a very uh, technically proficient person with cameras. I don't know how he got all any of that stuff, but it was really jaw dropping. But a big part of the film too was not just the the shooting that he had done, but the found footage aspect of it, right. taken yeah. from yes. home videos. You know that the you know Canon GL2 footage I had mentioned before, and it's, it's using that as a way to tell these three people's story mm-hmm. of how they got to where they are today. Mm-hmm. And I found that was really, really, really well done in the film because they've been in each other's lives for years i mean these are one of them is a friend of his from high school another one's a little bit younger um you really do watch them all three of them grow up and what happens to their lives 10 15 years after being these teenagers who use skateboarding as a way of getting away from all of the really you know dark and difficult and very brutal things that were going on at home. Um, and I think that just the way that he dealt with that and dealt with telling these stories of his friends, like, really sensitively. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And it's also interesting, like, and this is a, kind of a spoiler, so I apologize if anyone hasn't seen it yet, uh, but one of his friends in the film, uh, you learn, has uh, abusing his, 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 bro- his girlfriend um, and the mother of his child. And it's another one of those ethical things that come up in, in documentaries. And especially this is a friend of his, too. Like, how do you approach that? And he, I think he handles it actually very sensitively. Um, and it, But also just kind of shows just, like, the generational nature of, of abuse. Just how it can, you know, go from, you know, one person passing it down on to their kid and then their kid passes it on down. Um, yeah, I just thought that was really handled very well uh in the film it's it's i mean it's pretty devastating to think about just like 
you know, how this, how domestic abuse, how, you know, being hurt by your, your parents at such a young age, um, can like really affect you throughout your whole life. Like it doesn't really just stop when the abuse stops, I guess. So that was, uh, mining the gap. I think, I, I don't think it's going to win necessarily, but I think it is my favorite of the five. I would probably, well, we'll do the ranking later, but yeah, I would definitely say that's one of my favorites. Um, next one is of fathers and sons. في صغري علمني أبي أن أكتب كوابيسي على ورقة حتى لا تعود مجددا وها أنا الآن أكتب أطول كابوس نشته على الإطلاق And this is directed by Talal Durki. Uh, he's a filmmaker from Syria who uh, goes back uh, to his country during the insurgency uh, he embeds himself with a radical Islamist family for about two years, and he's uh, actually pretending to be uh, a sympathetic uh, uh, jihadist, or he's, a, or he's a journalist pretending to be sympathetic to jihad. And he basically follows around um, a father and his, his kids, uh, two children in particular, and it's sort of a fly-in-the-wall uh, approach to, uh, um, uh, to the subject. Uh, kind of like mining the gap, actually. It's it's you know it's 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 kind of just taking an observational approach. There's no real like stand-up interviews or anything like that. You know, for me, I guess I know a little bit about the war in Syria and I know a little bit about jihadism, but I don't I don't know if a person who wasn't familiar with these topics would really understand what they were seeing. What did you guys think of it? It was a very intense film, certainly. I feel like my attention was drawn to maybe different details. For instance, some things that I noticed in the film were uh, surprisingly the different kind of guns that were being used by the fighters there. Hmm. So a lot of them were actually Russian-made guns. Some of them were also American-made guns. Hmm. So it kind of shows you in those kind of details who the major players are in terms of you know what's happening in the conflict there, where the arms are coming from. Um, one other thing that I really noticed about the film was that uh, in terms of the the danger that's present there for the family, it's not like how you might imagine it to be like a war zone. It's not people aren't running for cover every other second in the film. They're not ducking behind walls, being shot at in their homes, things like that. The real danger comes from mines and mm. mine sweeping plays a huge role in the film and a mine actually acts as the sort of the catalyst that makes their family life really really change um the father in the film is an experienced minesweeper he always talks about how you know he's 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 really really good at it and then in one scene in the film you see his face is sort of covered in blood and you realize that he's lost a foot that was and, really well done yeah how they showed that because yeah you see him just lying in bed um, kind of an agony, yeah. and then the camera pulls back at one point, and you see his his leg, half of his leg is gone. Another thing that I found interesting about it, kind of like mining the gap, is the um, uh, the general generational nature of uh, inheritance, inheritance, yeah, yeah of, of an ideology of violence being passed on to the next generation. So, uh, you know, there's a scene early in the film where uh, the kids uh, they find a bird. And a sparrow. A sparrow, yeah. 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 And um, talking about what to do with the sparrow, and then um, the kids say that they, they killed it, and they say, Dad, we killed it kind of like you killed that man. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, whoa. 
So they've seen this, their dad murder someone. Um, or at least we're told stories about it. Or, and yeah. like they And they internalize it in a, in a particular way. Yeah. Um, but then there's a, a kind of a separate lesson in that same scene where it's, yeah, the, the bird pecked your brother. So the bird is dead now. Mm-hmm. But he also says something around something uh, along the lines of, if you see a bird in a cage, free it. Mm-hmm. So there, there's kind of a, a, a duality in in that bird's death. I guess, I mean, you know, another similarity with this, Mining the Gap and even um, uh, White Wright meeting the enemy that we did during the season. Oh, with Hunt, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just like this idea of trying to understand how... Uh, trying to understand ideologies, trying to understand why people think and act in ways that we know are harmful and hateful, um, understand it without excusing it, without um, humanizing aspects of the way people act and think that are absolutely uh, not excusable. Just uh, finding ethical ways of doing that and, and yeah. Uh, well, the last film, uh, and I saved it for last because I didn't think it was very good, <laughs> is uh, Hale County This Morning, This Evening. Hey, how y'all? Got my bodyguard, nah. Got my bodyguard. And this is a film directed by Ramel Ross. He's a photographer and filmmaker. And it's a look at uh, black lives in a very small county in Alabama. Uh, the focus is on two young men named Daniel and Quincy. I was really wasn't into this film. Uh, it's very experimental. Uh, it's not really like there's a, like a very clear narrative. Um, actually, when I went online to... I was going to write up a synopsis of the film uh, just so I could read it uh, to the listener in a very digestible way that you could understand it. And it looked like one of those um, descriptions you'd see at an art gallery wall to describe a painting. <laughs> I like find just, that really exciting. I, just, I, I, you know, I, I think it's really exciting that it's been nominated. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the idea that, I mean, that an institution like the Academy, which has a reputation for recognizing and celebrating very safe uh, modes of storytelling. Uh, You know, this is formally experimental. Um, It's nonfiction, but it uses, like it pulls from, and it isn't, you know, shy or or, or trying to, it's not shy about the fact that it's using something that's very experimental uh, to tell a story. or even telling a story in an experimental way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if this signals like a change for what kinds of uh, narratives or what kinds of storytelling might get recognized in the documentary category going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. I think you know, like your mileage may vary. I mean, it obviously, uh, it got got good reviews. Uh, there's definitely an audience for this type of film. It wasn't for me, but yeah, I think you know. I mean, if the Academy is open to nominating more. Uh, diverse filmmakers, uh, not just in terms of uh, what they look like, but also in terms of the kinds of films they're they're willing to uh, make. I think that's great. Um, it just wasn't my thing, but uh, you know, this is his first nomination too, right? It's his, well, and yes. I think it's his first film too. Oh, first film. I think so that's a yeah, couple of first time photographer. Yeah, 
Bing Lu's also, it's his first film. So, I mean, I guess that brings us to who do we think is going to win and who do we think should win? Matt, why don't you go first? Who do you think is going to win? I think from a, a purely technical sense, I think Free Solo uh, probably gets my award for the Oscars this year just for its camera work chops, uh, the way that the story was told, um, you know, the way that they're able to mix, you know, using like motion graphics and um, just you know, some of the amazing uh, work they had done on the on the uh, cliff face to shoot. But in terms of the storytelling for these films, Mining the Gap was the most powerful story of them. It tells something that, you know, in, in a lot of, you know, my time growing up, I think about a lot of my friends uh, when I was a kid. And, you know, a lot of them would reach out and it really gives you sort of an introspective sort of experience. And so say technically Free Solo, I think will most likely get the Oscar. But for me, I think my favorite of the films was Mind the Gap for sure. What about you, Chantal? Uh, Super similar here. I mean, the experience of watching Free Solo in theaters was, again, a wild ride. I had sweaty palms the whole time. Um, is very beautifully done. It is a really good doc, and it probably will win. But you know, the whole thing, like I Oscar pool too. I vote with my heart, and uh, here to Minding the Gap is absolutely the one that I would love to see win. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm gonna vote for uh, for Free Solo, not just as uh, the one that will win, but I think should win, just because I think it's a, a technical accomplishment. I really like Minding the Gap too. I wouldn't mind at that one either, but uh, my vote is for Free Solo. So. I guess that's three for th- for three for three for free solo. Yeah, Sorry. I'd say so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a favorite to win. All right, well, you yeah. got our vote, well, free solo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before we get to our credits and stuff, mm-hmm. I have one thing I want to share with Colin, oh. our host. Okay. Uh, there's one line that has always been the toughest thing for you to say. Oh dear. So I thought I'd play a highlight reel of that and just get your. Oh no! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully this works. Our production. Why am I having a hard time reading this? Thanks to our production support coordinators, Nikki. Ah. <laughs> our production court. Our production support coordinator. Production support coordinator. <laughs> production sorry, support coordinator is the most complicated set of words I ever have to say. Ah. And production support coordinator, Caitlin Plummer, whose title I butcher every time I say it, but we thank you anyway. <laughs> our produ- <laughs> I've always wanted to produce a blooper reel. So that was, that was the one that sort of stood out throughout the entire season. I was wondering if we'd have a, a, a blooper reel or something. Oh, we got that. Production coordinator. No, there. it's not, nice. not right. What? what? No, it's production support coordinator. Support coordinator? <laughs> support coordinator. What? Come on, man. I thought it was production coordinator. <laughs> it's production support oh, coordinator. Fine. Well, I think that's it for this <laughs> season of the of On Docs. Uh, thanks to producers Chantal Berganza and Matthew O'Mara. Thank you so much to our podcast manager, Hannah Sung, and to our production support coordinators, Jonathan Hallowell and Nikki Ashworth. You can write to us at ondocs at tvo.org and follow me on Twitter at colinellis81. If you'd like to see any of these films, you can go watch them at Hot Docs uh, before the Academy Awards, which air on Sunday, February 24th. You can also watch RBG and of Fathers and Sons on iTunes. Free Solo and Hale County are in select theaters. Mind in the Gap is going to be on PBS later this month in February. 
OnDocs is going on hiatus, but stay subscribed to this feed for when we drop Season 2, and remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'll catch you at the next screening. Music